Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. So how does the Me Too movement define rape culture? And this is straight from their website. Right, so rape culture is what they believe, right? Mm-hmm. So rape culture, and I got some things highlighted, and I'm going to go into that a little bit, but I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to get into that. So rape culture is the systems, beliefs, and behaviors rooted in patriarchy that allow for its prevalence in society. Remember that rape culture goes beyond an act of sexual violence. It can be also it can also be subtle and live in the ways we think, speak. An act that ultimately undermine our autonomy and consent. Now, if you're listening on the podcast, did you notice some of the anti-biblical doctrine that's smuggled in there? You know, this is referred to as sexual agency, mm-hmm. which is rooted in sexual promiscuity, mm-hmm. aka fornication. Yes. For more on fornication, go to our episode. Yes, yes. We got a whole episode just on fornication. So before moving on forward, I want to say that we're going to read an excerpt from the University of Chicago Press Journals. Uh, The excerpt is called, this article is called Judging Women's Sexual Agency, Contemporary Sex Wars in the Legal Terrain of Prostitution and Polygamy by... um, See, I I said I wasn't going to say it, but then... Man, it got me off. the The link will be provided in the the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, but um. Anyways, so what <laughs> uh, inception? Once an idea planted is there. But anyways, here it goes. So again, I'm I'm paraphrasing some of this stuff. So it's not like a complete literal reading. I'm trying to make a point. The feminist sex wars have been criticized for offering two reductionist positions. One among radical feminists who view existing structures of sexuality as products of male domination that are dangerous for women. The other among sex positive feminists who embrace subversive sexuality as a mean to undermine patriarchy. On a dangerous side, Catherine McKinnon argues that our culture is one of pervasive sexual dominance of women. All she quotes, all women live in sexual objectification the way fish live in water. The question is, what can life as a woman mean? What can sex mean to targeted survivors in a rape culture? End quote. And then as some citations here, I'm not gonna read them on air, but they will be in the uh, description, the link description. Um, so I'm just kind of just showing you on air where I get these citations from. Or these are these are citations that were cited in the article that I just read. But um, sexual objectification actually has some truth to it. Yeah. Right. So we, we, let's talk about what uh, Catherine McKinnon said. She said that all quote all women live in sexual objectification the way fish live in water. End quote. Hmm. Did I make you think of something? Yes, it does. <laughs> we talked about it recently. We're going to talk about it today. Yeah. So it's kind of like, 
going back to the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. when Jesus is talking about if you even look at somebody with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Yes. All right. And he so, was talking to a lot of people that day. He understood the mind of man. He's talking to 5,000 yes. men first. Yes. Plus women and children, but mm-hmm. that's kind of un, 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 you know, unnumbered. Yeah, we don't you have know. You know, it's so, some some estimates up to 10,000 or 8,000 or, or whatever. But point is, he's talking to 5,000 men first, right? Yep. Saying that if you look at a woman, if you objectify a woman, you know, you already committed sin worthy of death. Mm-hmm. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. We live in a culture that pushes that. I mean, you, commercials. Oh, man. Movies, even supposed to be uh, Christian movies, mm-hmm. it's it's everywhere. They Man, it's it's things. pervasive. Yes, sex sells. Yes, sex. otherwise you wouldn't have pornography. Exactly, or sex trafficking. Yep, and all the other mess filth out there right now. But it's mm-hmm. yeah. So she's not wrong there. So one thing we want to make sure we do on this show, we always want to make sure we parse out truth and par- parse out truth from error. Mm-hmm. Right, because sometimes. We get into this idea of, oh, it's all bad or, oh, it's all good. Like, life is complex. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no silver bullets to a lot of things out there. And we don't want to just come off as we're just hammering something, you know, or painting with a broad stroke, what I'm trying, really trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're really taking the time to parse out some truth from error. So, yes, what she's saying here has some teeth to it. Right. You know, like men do typically objectify a woman. Absolutely. Right? And and you don't have to look very far to see that. We, we know this as men because, was it, and I'm going to ask you, and maybe if you don't give the right answer to this, <laughs> I, think like, I know you're going to be Uh-oh. like, right, you're right. I'm in trouble now. What's up? What is one of the first things that a male will say when uh, he introduces uh, this woman that he's attracted to and wants to pursue? Oh, it's my girl. Okay. Maybe I didn't ask you right. <laughs> Make my <laughs> anyway, well, what's up? She looks good. Oh, okay. I thought you got that. Yeah. She looks good. That's one of the first things in order. She looks good. So that's, therefore, she's my girl. She looks good. <laughs> so, yeah. It, 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 that even frustrates me, too. And I'll be like, that's the first thing you thought about mm-hmm. in pursuing this woman. How she looks. Oh, that's she got this. Oh, she got these features. The first thing you thought about. You on the road to disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking of so many songs right now that I grew up listening to that are just, you know, shouldn't teenagers and kids shouldn't be listening to these songs. Mm-hmm. But it just just gets in under your under your skin, under your fingernails, and it just affects your entire psyche, right? And you think that, you know, this is this is just because it's normative. It's been made to be normative doesn't mean it's correct or right or it should happen. You haven't observed no character. You haven't. It's just so much. It's yeah. so much. <laughs> so so we can keep hitting that. We we could keep hitting that point. But you know, fact of the matter is, she's not wrong about that. Yeah. Right. Now there are some problems with sexual agency that we're going to get into from a biblical standpoint. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, number one, it is rooted in anti-family sentiment mm-hmm. by denouncing the family's patriarchal, the father's patriarchal role in the giving of a bride. And we see this in Genesis two twenty two. Mm-hmm. And also another thing is that 
You can't cut down a tree of moral depravity by whacking at the leaves. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that? To believe that rape culture is rooted in patriarchy is to misdiagnose the issue. But the root of the issue is found in Romans 118-36, that is, the denial of God and the worship of the creature instead of the creator. Yes. Sin is the source. Sin is the source. Sin is the root. You know, denial of God, worshiping idols, that's the root of the problem. That's the root of why men objectify women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not rooted in patriarchy. That's no. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Not from a biblical standpoint. It's not just a man issue. I was having a conversation <clears throat> with a young lady not too long ago. And she was like, yeah, and you see these men raping women in the Bible? And then I was like, you know men got raped in the Bible, too. She was oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I talked to her, but she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, it is a sin it, issue. It, it's a sin <laughs> issue, because what he's referring to is, is, is Lot, and the story of Lot. I'm not going to go into that right yeah. now, but... um. Yeah, right. go, go go back and do your homework. Yeah. You know, get into your Bible. We're not gonna spoon feed you all the answers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, the Bible then you can stand somewhere. Yeah, yes, Where you know. Many ways. So, point number two: the problem with sexual. Second problem with sexual agency is that it's rooted in sexual immorality mm-hmm. by arguing for consensual sex outside of marriage. Again, we relate that foundation in Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not gonna just belabor that point because we have several episodes about that very point. Right. You know, you can't. The means have to justify the ends. Mm-hmm. You know, sexual immorality will lead you down a road to uh, worse and gross sexual sin anyway. Yes, and so you're saying that we're not doing this over here, but we're doing this, which can still lead me to a point of doing this over here. You cannot scoop fire into your lap and not think you're only burned. It, it, it don't work like that. You oh. know, there's no such thing as, as a cold fire. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like saying there's a such thing as a square circle. Mm-hmm. I, I like to, and a lot of people do, put things biblically under trees. There are different trees. Mm-hmm. Sexual immorality is a tree. Yep. And there are different fruits on there, right? Oh, yeah. Rape is one of them. But also fornication is one. Yep. If you're eating off that same tree, you might end up grabbing a different fruit on that tree. It's, it's still, it's still going to die. It's still going to kill you. Exactly. You know, rotten fruit is rotten fruit. Rotten fruit is rotten fruit. So we're going to talk a little bit about the objections of the Me Too movement, right? And again, we are not here to invalidate the experience of rape survivors in any way. But we, what we want to do is explore some of the objections to the Me Too movement from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm going to read an excerpt. This is coming from the Georgetown Law, Law Journal. When the title is, When You're a Star... The Unnamed Wrong of Sexual Degradation by Daniel Magan. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, then I'm going to get corrected. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, that's an insider joke, and you don't need to know about that one. Um, anyways, what he says in the article is, Objections to the Me Too... Objections to Me Too appeared soon after the magnitude of its effects became evident. As Me Too allegations produce more and more public and legal consequences, now in the article he wrote it's four, but 
due to time constraints and because I saw some overlap, I'm just reducing it down to two criticisms that have been been often put forth in response to the Me Too movement. So, number one, some people criticize Me Too for seeking to rob interpersonal relations of a cherished degree of sexual promiscuity. I don't even need to hit that too long because that just goes back to fornication and what the point we already made about that. Like mm-hmm. it's, you, you can't argue in favor of one thing while committing sin at the same time. Mm-hmm. All right. And it goes back to just the problem of sexual agency. So moving on. The second main criticism, this is a real big one here. The second main criticism is other critics protest Me Too's failure to conform to the established paradigms of sexual wrongdoing and its disregard of the legal fact-finding procedures. Along with being concerned about due process, some are dismayed by Me Too's ostensible failure to uphold the distinctions between criminal and non-criminal behavior and between forms of criminal wrongdoing. As Professor Deborah Rode writes of the treatment of the former Senator Al Franken, for instance, and I quote, if we lose the capacity to draw those distinctions, we risk alienating the constituency that needs convincing. The rage that is driving me to, if unchecked, could also undermine it as well, end quote. Despite the decades-long predominance of the discrimination paradigm in the legal arena, Professor Schultz cautions that most Me Too allegations and media outlets that echo them seem to adhere to a narrower definition of harassment centered around unwanted sexual overtures or more specifically sexual forms of abuse, as Schultz warns, quote, this purely sexual lens represents a step backwards, not forward, end quote. That's a lot there. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, but to summarize it, in other words, not, not all harassment is sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. A clear distinction needs to be made between sexually motivated harassment and discrimination-based harassment. Mm. You know, again, this goes back to talking about Ephesians 4.14, you know, being able, not being able, not being blown about by every wind of doctrine and, and teaching that's, you know, so clever that it seems like truth, right? right? So when we're talking about distinctions between criminal and non-criminal behavior, Great harm is done to people on both sides mm-hmm. when we associate all gross and sexual mischievous behavior as criminal behavior. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. While all sexual mischievous behavior is immoral yes. and ought to be shamed, yes. not all sexual mischievous behavior is criminal. Absolutely. Right? And that's really the thing. You know, there is such a high bar for criminal um, adjudication that oftentimes it, it it doesn't meet the threshold, you know, when you bring forth accusations. And a lot of what the Me Too movement does is try to get to that criminal 
accusation status, that criminal uh, adjudication. But it's such a high bar to reach that no, nobody actually sees justice. So it ends up shooting itself in the foot that if you want to achieve justice, this not this is not the the statistically proven path right. to that. You know, it's a it's a media effective path. It's a great money maker. You know, you could raise a lot of money doing that. But in the end, you know, once it's all said and done and the media news cycle is gone, what you end up with is you still have broken women who have now have broken lives and been paraded all through throughout the media mm-hmm. who are probably even more broken now because they had their name drugged through the, through the mud, you know, and now they still have no justice. They're still in the same spot. All right. Um, Mm-mm. so yes, like I said, some of what me too movement has done in the past is conflate the two, you know, that is criminal and non-criminal behavior, um, by ascribing criminal accusations to non-criminal behavior, right. which harmed the reputation of me too and Mars named individuals sometimes in irreparable ways. Right. right? Um, yeah, so wisdom is needed to avoid jumping to hasty conclusions. Another thing is, this is why we go back to mentioning um, how to uh, getting getting um, perspective, right? In that documentary, Audrey and Daisy, um, I don't remember exactly which one committed suicide. To be honest, I'm misremembering. Somebody going to correct me on the comments. But point is, one of the the parents, one of the things the parents wanted to do was or at least was advised to do legally. Again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a con- consult your lawyer for any kind of legal advice. Um, but I'm just I'm just telling what happened in this story, right? So in this story, in the context of this story, it made sense for them to settle out of court and not, and not go for a criminal conviction. But you know what happened after that? They were able to get more out of the perpetrators in terms of more cooperation, from the perpetrators once they know that their entire lives are not in jeopardy. I'm not saying it's right or right or whatever, but what I am saying is that they the the perpetrators were then um they they were willing to listen to um survivor impact statements, right? They were even for a documentary for Audrey and Daisy, they then had to um then had to agree to appear on that documentary mm-hmm. so that we can get that story. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we wouldn't get it. Wow. All right. So, so now they have some measure of justice, right. all right. Right or wrong, make your own decision about it. But the point I'm getting at is you can get to some sense of healing by considering the non-criminal adjudication route. Right. And again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not professing to be one. Consult your lawyer first. Do not take legal advice from me. But I'm just saying that this is what I've seen in these videos and it makes sense. Right.